Welcome back to the EFM Podcast, where we seek to create missional conversations to equip the local church for a global impact. We're glad you're with us today. I'm your host, Tom Tyndale. How many preachers have you ever heard of who had ever joined a Rotary Club? Now, when we think about a Rotary Club or uh, a, a philanthropic organization that raises lots of money and gives lots of money away, typically you don't think of people who are involved in some sort of full-time, quote-unquote, full-time Christian service. You don't think about pastors, you don't think about ordained people, and you don't think about cross-cultural workers. But I'm hoping that many of you who are listening to this podcast, you are actively engaged as a listener because you are <laughs> you're philanthropically minded. You're already giving to organizations, and some of those organizations may be philanthropic organizations such as the Rotary Club. And uh, you might actually get some inspiration from what we have to share today. Now, it's, like I said, it's very rare for someone, quote-unquote, of the cloth to be in one of these organizations because typically these organizations are made up of businessmen and businessmen who want to have a social impact with their finances. And people who are in the, the traditional roles of of what we call full-time Christian service, well, they don't normally have a lot of money to be giving around in in places like this because their investment comes primarily from their time. Now, now, I found myself in the middle of a Rotary Club. Now, how did I do that? Well, because where I serve and where I minister, it has a, an open hostility to people of the cloth. And so even though my, my upbringing and my skills and my background are all oriented towards theology and training in that perspective, that basically has prohibited me from having any impact in the countries where, where the gospel is most needed. So I started a business. I started a business doing leadership development with the John Maxwell team, and I am a a certified member of the John Maxwell team as a coach, speaker, and trainer. And when I was just getting this business going, I was, it was advised to those of us who were new to kind of network and, and get in the mix of things and get to know local leaders, chambers of commerce, join the Rotary Clubs, join Toastmasters, just kind of get out there and, and get noticed and start to learn where you can interact with people in the marketplace. And so where I live, one of the options in this area of the world that is openly hostile to the gospel was a Rotary Club. So I joined it, and I, I found it to be a very fascinating and very, very enlightening experience on a lot of ways. I learned a lot in my interactions with various gentlemen in the Rotary Club, and I've, I've talked about some of them before and, and will probably do so again. But as I was starting to become a regular member. I, I paid my dues, I paid my fees, and then I started attending the weekly or bi-weekly meetings in the local city where I was living. Now, it was very fascinating to me to get in a room full of business-minded people. These guys were all basically substantially wealthy, and I would say most of them, at least in this particular context, were 
what you would call old money. They had inherited their wealth from their parents. And so I, I thought I would try to make conversation with lots of them. And I would say, hey, how did you get started in your business? And he's like, well, my dad was doing this. Duh, was kind of the response. Uh, so, so they were just kind of born into this environment, as you might say. And, and the Rotary Club was a, a great way for them to connect and to relate to other people with, with similar backgrounds and livelihoods and interest. Now, I want to tell you about a few stories that I had at my Rotary Club experience. So what I found them to be is that, that first off, they were very warm and friendly. And even though I came in as a foreigner and I was I was radically different. There's kind of this idea that if you're educated and smart, then you're only going to have two kids. Well, I came in with with three, and then obviously I spoke a different language as my heart language, although they were all proficient in English. And and I'm new. I'm from a different everything. Okay, so I'm getting to know these guys, and I found it. I found them to be very hospitable. And quite frankly, it was it was very refreshing to get to know them because on the other side of things, from the traditional aspects, when when people of faith see Westerners, there is an automatic assumption they've got money, they've got funding, they've got free access to resources that I want. And so I have found many of my relationships on the theological side of life to be very, very, well, disappointing. Uh, It's taken a lot of work to weed out people who respect me for our, our fellowship and mutual interest in the advancement of the gospel versus trying to make uh, some sort of funding or some, get some sort of job from me. So, so that so when I come into the, the the rotary aspect and just everybody's business, everybody's got their own wealth, everybody's independently wealthy. There is this automatic level of respect, and there's this automatic level of trust, and so it's a lot easier to get to know but know people because the guards are down. So one of the early ways that that we got to know the club is is they had a picnic and they invited our whole family to come and they invited everybody in the group to come to the picnic and so I thought hey this is cool this will be fun and formal let's do it well it so happened that this country's version of a picnic isn't where everybody packs a basket full of food and shares it together as what I kind of assumed as a, a, a an American uh, no a picnic is a catered meal at a private home. <laughs> so we went out to the outside of town and and in a place that I thought was basically farmland and village, there was this massive compound of this incredibly manicured yard with grass. And in that part of the country, that already bespoke of wealth. And so they had this beautiful manicured lawn. They had a gazebo out in the middle of it, large homes and garage, and it was it was incredibly wealthy. And all of the, the who's who that were in town were there. And my wife was home with the baby, and so I brought the three older kids with me to this picnic. And so 
the it was it was the middle of of July. It was hot. It was probably about 120 degrees. I mean, it was hot. And so right in the middle of the yard in this gazebo was a wet bar. And so they had all of these fancy colored drinks out there. And my kids got out of this car in 120 degree heat. And they're like, there's water, there's a drink, there's nourishment. And they split. And so I try to run off retaining whatever kind of dignity I could possibly muster. But between me and the kids, there were people that I knew and needed to shake hands with me. And so we kind of exchanged greetings and and finally, after an eternity, I got up to the gazebo where the drinks were being served. I'm frustrated. My local language is decimated with, with uh, confusion and, and, and just a, a mind that's everywhere trying to find out where my kids are, what they're drinking, what's going to happen, and how do we not make a total idiot out of ourselves. So I asked the, I asked the, 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 the bartender, the guy holding the drinks, and I said, hey, is, is, are these drinks alcohol-free? Now, his English was about as strong as my local dialect was in, in his language. And so he responded with warmth and enthusiasm and, and hospitality. And he said, oh, yes, sir, certainly all of the alcohol is free. Well, that was a failure on multiple levels, and I was still frustrated. Now I was frustrated and embarrassed, <laughs> and I still didn't drink, and I didn't want to drink. Uh, we, we, the, the, the local phrase finally came to me, and I was able to express myself and, and found out that the kids were fine. There was nothing alcoholic in the drinks they had taken, and I could proceed in, in peace. Uh, I just needed about another three minutes to regain presence of mind. We did have a good time at that event, and we were able to leave before too much of the alcohol got flowing too freely. Now, I've got a couple more stories here that I'm going to share with you, and I'll just give you a heads up. If you're listening with your family, I'm going to do my best to keep this kid-sensitive. But as a parent, you're just going to want to take note, and when I get to my second story, it might be a good time to make sure that the kids are out of the room until you've previewed what, what we're going to talk about. But for my, my first of the next two stories, uh, one, of the, one of the meetings that we had at this Rotary Club was a professional psychiatrist. He was a licensed legal doctor, and he was brought in uh, to, to talk about the issue of depression and suicide. And I was... I was very enlightened to hear what he had to say. He's talking to upper middle class and upper class businessmen. And one of the major concerns that he's seen in this country is a rise, almost even a spike in depression and suicide and even even to some extent self-mutilation. So these numbers were rising in alarming rates, and it's very fascinating that they are rising in alarming rates with the very group of people that have had pretty easy, lifelong access to wealth. Now, it's, it's fascinating that this particular country is known the world over for its levels of 
poverty and abject poverty in many places. But there is also a, a good number of people that you could say are anywhere between comfortably wealthy and uh, even to the points of being filthy rich. Now, now they have more conveniences. Uh, they, this, this particular audience that the doctor was speaking to had more conveniences to save time, money, and energy than any generation ever before them. They have more discretionary funds than generations before them have ever dreamed of. But surprise, surprise, they're not real happy about it. So the doc that was giving the speech about suicide and depression and self-mutilation, he encouraged everybody there to, to keep an eye on your loved ones and to maintain healthy relationships and nourish them. And don't be afraid to seek counseling if it looked like depression was going to be coming close to home or maybe even if one of the audience members was experiencing that. Now, that was very telling. You and I as believers, you, we, we know this. We know that money cannot buy happiness. And some people say, I know that money can't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to give it a shot. <laughs> uh, many people still hope that money is going to be their answer. And if they could just get enough comfort, if they could just get enough pleasure, if they could just get enough trinkets, if they could just get enough status or power or promotion, then their problems would be solved and they would be living in peace of mind. Well, guess what? People of all economic strata need the gospel. So it's important that we don't just look at the poor, the down and out, but that we see every person without Christ as an opportunity to share Christ. Now I want to bring your attention to another speech where it was very evident that there was a need for salt and light to be communicated in a place that was very dark. And so if you have young kids, I, I, I encourage uh, parental discretion from this point on. There was a, another doctor brought in, and he's speaking to a group of, of middle-aged to senior men. And, and the issue that he talked about was relative to an issue that would affect that demographic, uh, particularly in regards to reproduction. Now, it was an awkward speech. Uh, it, was, it was something that I didn't know was previously scheduled. I probably would have tried to miss it. But, but he, he holds this speech and he talks about the, the causes and, and the therapies and the recommendations on how to, how to negotiate with this. And when he ended up finishing his, basically finishing up the speech, one of the final things that he said was that, hey, if you need to, go ahead and watch a blue film. Now, a blue film was a particular phrase, and he's talking in English, and, and so that was a, an exact quote. He said blue film. That was something I had never heard before, although I had some pretty strong suspicions of what it was. I, I almost spoke up right there, but I decided I'm still the new guy. Maybe I should wait and address this. Now, he's dealing with a very sensitive issue, and one of the therapies that he's recommended is to watch a blue film. 
Now, in that culture, uh, from the time that this happened a couple of years ago, even till today, practically every week, there is a report in the paper about horrific crimes of reproductive natures. And, and I'm, I'm talking about, when I say horrific, I mean horrific. Uh, and, and there are stories practically every week that, that appear in the paper, new stories, different stories, and they are obscene. They are gross. They are heart-rending. And, and in, I would hope it would make your blood boil. I'm trying to be nice for for families that may be listening to this, but I'm telling you, it's bad. It's bad, and it is ubiquitous. It is all over this country, and it's regular, okay? So we're talking about heinous, we're talking about universal, we're talking about regular, okay? So, so it's, it's, it's also a fruit, a product of what happens when you have unlimited access to cheap internet on personal cell phones. Uh, there are guys that, that, that have their access to the internet at, at rates you would not believe. They are almost free. And so they've got a periscope into hell in terms of unlimited access to pornography. And so uh, that is feeding behavior that is absolutely demonic. This background of rampant, gross sexual perversion is the environment in which the doctor stood with all of his medical credentials encouraging a group of older gentlemen to watch blue films. So when he was done, we got to go forward and shake hands and offer thanks, and I did so. In a manner of speaking, I gripped his hand and I said I appreciated a lot of what he had to say. But I also said that this this term blue film, I have never heard that term before. Could you explain that to me? And he confirmed my worst suspicions. He said, well, it's pornography. Well, well. I had his hand in my hand, and so I gripped it firmer. He wanted to slink away and run, but I held on to him very tight. I said, Doc, that is bad advice, very bad advice, especially considering all of the sexual violence that is regularly reported in this part of the country. Well, of course, the doc got defensive, and he said, Well, no, 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 I'm just saying if you only have a medical condition, and, and this, is, this is not for for recreational purposes. Well, guess what? I still didn't let go of his hand. And I said, would you, would you want your wife or your daughter on that screen? We can do better than this, Doc. Now, could my encounter with him have been better? I am sure it's possible. But I did what I could with the time and the information that I had available. That was just a brief moment where this doc got confronted with his gross sin and promoting gross sin. And it was a brief moment of what it means to be salt and light. Now, I want the rest of you to capture this because being a witness and being a light for the gospel isn't something that just preachers need to do. 
There are many more rotary clubs across the world. There are many more businessmen across the world, and they are taking trips and sleeping in hotels and watching all sorts of junk. They need to be confronted with the truth. Now, preachers can only go so far, but if you're working in a real job, as they say, and, and you know what it's like to have the stresses and the cares of life— you need to be a voice for righteousness and truth. Part of the gospel is to confront sin, and yes, the gospel informs every area of life. It's one thing to preach against perversion from the pulpit, and we can, and we should, but it it really matters that you take moments like this when people aren't coming to church, they're not looking for the preacher to say what the preacher's expected to say, and somebody stands up and stands out and says, that's wrong. you got to bring the light into the dark places. Now, as we wrap up this, this time together, I just want to review some lessons that we can learn. I've already mentioned how every economic strata needs the gospel. Depression is a consideration, a rising factor with people who are are increasing in their wealth and, and basically exchanging relationships for, for material gain and all of the entertainment that, that can be provided in this age. Uh, the other issue is, is that these people, and what I want to bring to your attention is how these people fit into this discussion of what we call unreached people groups. Now, unreached people groups can entail various educational and economic strata, but I want to bring this to your attention because very little effort is being used to reach people of means. When I look at this country that we're talking about, 80%, 80% of Christian ministry in this country has historically been poured out to the poorest of the poor. Most of the people who are financially stable and reasonably educated, they look down on Christian ministry because it appears to them Christians are preying on simple and weak-minded people, and they're trying to discredit the, the historical and religious heritage that has been a staple of their society. And, it, and it's kind of been the predictable and stabilizing element of their society. And so when we go in and we start disrupting it from, from the lower classes, it makes life for the upper classes a little bit difficult. And so they are very irritated uh, with our presence. Now, while this group of people have often been very hostile to the gospel, I have found that being an honest businessman, it has actually created a lot of conversations about my faith. And as I've already told you, these people aren't looking at me as as a, an economic benefactor that can maybe give them a job or or give them some free money so they can start a next project and buy a sound system and chairs and carpet for their church. No, they just see me as another guy. And so there's no reason to soak anything from me. And they view me in the same regard. So we're approaching each other from a, a, a level playing field. And so when we bring up issues of faith, we can discuss it without the risk of sounding like, oh, if I don't theologically line up, I'm not going to get the business or I'm not going to get the, the offer. Uh, so I want to I emphasize this because it is vital 
that this group of people see the practical effects of the Gospels from peers they respect and not from traditional missionaries that they would view as paid professional proselytizers. Something else I want you to capture is that these people are the movers and shakers of their society. They're the ones who create jobs, who pay taxes. They contribute to causes and political efforts that they deem worthy of their support. And so, do we reach the last, the least, and the lost? Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not advocating the abdication of that by any means. But I want to make sure that we, we understand whoever we reach must not be at the expense of any other sector of society. People of wealth have human problems. They have sinful problems. They have dysfunctions their own aplenty. And only the gospel can set them free. And when they get free, they can be some of the most effective communicators of Christ in their own cultures. Now, I'm just... I'm just one person, but I'm appealing to those of you out there who God has gifted with a good business sense, whether you're a, a manager or maybe a company owner or a high-level executive, I want to challenge you. How are you reaching into the Rotary members or your peers in the business community? How are you reaching them with the gospel? You have access to people that pastors and missionaries and full-time evangelists will never have, and they're never going to be able to reach them without your engagement. You are the salt of the earth. You, Jesus said, are the light of the world. Guess what? Rotary clubs, they need spice and light as well.